How's everyone tonight? Good? Awesome. We're going to continue in our series, which we've called Let, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Now, we're not going to get there for a while, but we are going to eventually get in there. Last week, Pastor Paul Israelson took us through Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I was actually supposed to speak on this last weekend, and I ended up coming under the weather there and ended up having to not be here. And it was funny because I called him to see if he could switch me weekends, and he was actually convinced that he was on last weekend. So, you know, that was the perfect, best provision switch ever, right? And I heard it was a really good word, and uh, today we're going to continue looking in this series. So we're eventually going to get to Hebrews 4, but before we get there, let me start by asking you something. Can you use a little more rest in your life? Anyone? Can anyone use a little more rest? We're talking about rest tonight, okay? And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you're good at resting. And do you make time to rest? Are you intentional about resting? You see, one of the things that happened last week as I was at home not feeling good, and I was laying on the couch, I, uh, you know, despite the unpleasant symptoms that I was having, I actually said to Nicole a couple of times, actually, it feels good just to rest sometimes and not even think about anything, right? And it's terrible that it takes something like that in order for me to actually sometimes make that time to sit back and rest and just take some time off, um, But I think we live in a fast-paced culture. I I think you'd probably agree with me on that. And not only do we sometimes not rest, but at worst, I think sometimes we can even treat rest as if that's just something that lazy people do. Or that's just something that people who, you know, really just don't do anything, they, they, they got time to rest, right? And we, we almost wear our busyness as like a, like a badge of pride, if I could just say it like that. When in fact, rest in the scriptures is always spoken of to us as a gift. And we'll talk about that tonight. And so Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11, it says this. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so let us do our best to enter that rest. So we're going to unpack what the writer is talking about momentarily. But before I do that, let me ask you another question, okay? And the question is this, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What is it? What gets you out of bed in the morning, right? Maybe for some of us, it's like duty, and like you just know you got to wake up, got to get ready for work, so you wake up. Maybe you're one of those people who likes to lounge a bit, right? And the coffee, like you're always thinking of the coffee, right? In fact, it's made for you. And so like, you know, you, you literally have like one of those automatic timers, you wake up, you're just looking forward to that cup of coffee, that gets you out of bed. Maybe it's quiet time with God. Maybe that's the time when you read in the scriptures and you just find that a very meaningful time. Maybe you got young kids and you literally just value quiet time, right? <laughs> Period. And you know that, you know, the house is going to get very energetic soon. So you wake up early and try to have some of that time by yourself before things go mad, right? Uh, Maybe there's work to be done. Maybe there's people to visit. There's all sorts of reasons why we wake up and what we look forward to throughout our day. But I think the point is this, is that we wake up with all sorts of desires. And those desires are what often get us out of bed on these dark, cold winter days. We all desire things. We all have desires. You see, desire itself is a great motivator, and some call it the engine of our lives. 
It propels us out of bed. It sends us into the world. There are things that we want, things that we want to see happen, things we want to accomplish. Desire sends us out. But we need to be careful that we keep desire in its proper place. We need to be careful that we keep desire in its proper place. Because if at any point desire is no longer under our control, but instead desire is driving your life, driving my life, then we find ourselves in trouble when that happens. And I'll explain why shortly. Because when you take a close look at the dynamic of desire, you realize that desire is one of those things that is never, ever, ever satisfied. It's just never satisfied. There's never enough. You see, as human beings, we naturally desire things, and often the same things. Often what we desire is the newer version of something. You know, I've had this, but there's a new one out, or I've had that vehicle, but, you know, three years later, all of a sudden, I desire something new, and there's always something more to be had. There's always something to be experienced. There's always something for us to go after, and desire is infinite. It has no limit, no point at which it's ever truly satisfied. And the problem is, is that we as humans are finite, and we have all sorts of limits. And so what this clash often results in is restlessness. It makes us restless. We get bored. We get unhappy. We're unsatisfied with what we have or what we've done, and there's always something out there that we desire and want. There's always something out there to fill that dissatisfaction that perhaps we're feeling on the inside. You see, desire is like that itch that just never goes away. No matter how much we purchase or spend or drink or eat or sell or visit or experience, no matter how much of all that we do, we will always want more. The writer of Ecclesiastes in verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 8 says it like this. It says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. There's this part of us that no matter how much of it, how much of things we get, we, we're always going to want more. There's always going to be something else. You see, a more recent poet saying it like this. He said the words, I can't get no satisfaction, right? And he wasn't lying when he said that, I don't think. And I think this is true for expecting to find that in things that this world offers us, we're going to find ourselves always wanting more. And it's never going to be enough. You see, the Jesus way would teach us that human desire is infinite because we were made to live with God forever in his world. And nothing less than that will ever truly satisfy us. And so our only hope is to put desire back into its proper place. And that's to put our desire on God, put our desire on to God, and to put all other desires back in their proper place, and those are below God. You see, St. Augustine said this, I uh, used the modern phrase, I took the thou's out for us tonight, okay? But he said, you have made us for yourself, speaking to God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Jesus said this in John chapter 6. He used an analogy from food, right? How many of us enjoy a good meal? Anyone, right? 
He uses an analogy from food. We're talking about bread. And uh, he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He takes something that he knows that we can't live without, and yet he puts it on himself and says that whoever comes to me, you're never going to hunger. You're never going to thirst. And obviously he wasn't speaking physically in this, right? There was a spiritual connotation to what he was saying. Harvard Business recently conducted a study on the change in social status in America. And it used to be that being leisure and having leisure time was a sign of wealth, right? It used to be that, you know, if you could spend the whole day sailing or being on a boat, or if you played tennis all day, or if you were on the golf course all day, come on, amen, right? You know, it used to be that that would be a sign that you were wealthy. That would be a sign of great wealth. But now that has changed. And now busyness is actually a sign of wealth. You see, a century ago, the less you work, the more status you had. Now it's flipped. The more you sit around and relax, the less status you have. And it's an incredible study, actually, to read through and just to peek at and see how things have shifted even over a century and where that finds us today. You see, growing up, I remember when Sunday seemed to be the one day that everything was closed and you spent time kind of in rest. And if you went to church, you went to church. And, you know, you kind of did things that didn't require punching in and being on the clock, if I could say it like that. And I'm not here to rant about stuff being open on Sunday because I, I recognize that we're in a much different place in society. And, you know, I can appreciate hitting a record store or something on a Sunday myself, okay? But once again, it simply affirms the change that our world has seen over time. And we have to ask ourselves questions when we look at how things have shifted. You see, our culture never even slowed down long enough to ask, what will this new pace of life do to our souls? What will it do to our souls? How will it help us? How will it perhaps harm us living this way? And what's very noticeable and relate, likely relatable to many of us is that when you get over busy and when you get overly distracted and when you have too much on your plate, then things start to suffer. And the things that start to suffer are often the most important things. Often the things we treasure the most, right? Often family, often times with friends, often times with a significant other. Perhaps time with God. The more we take on, the more we notice things suffer. Often it's the things that really would feed our souls, feed our hearts the most. And sometimes it happens without even really noticing it because we don't slow down ever to take inventory. We don't slow down to ask ourselves questions. Probably my favorite Christian author, Dallas Willard, he wrote this. And he said, Desire is infinite partly because we were made by God, made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run to God. We can be satisfied only by the one who's infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is the placed upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. So strong words from Willard. You see, nothing in this life apart from God, nothing in this life can satisfy your desire because God is infinite and only he can do that for you. And trying to find fulfillment in things other than him, I think that leads us to a life of, of hurry, 
of rush, of, 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 of shop or buy this or try that and more and more and accumulate. And we can end up living this life where we're just always wanting something more, which in turn only actually leaves us more restless. It's like putting gas on a fire in the end when you really think about it. Think about the pull of new products or experiences. You see, advertising was something that I really wanted to get into during high school because I found it interesting. I found the whole idea of marketing a product and trying to get people to buy into it kind of cool. And uh, I never pursued that, but I still, the odd time, will pick up a book and read about it because it still interests me a lot. But advertising tries purposely to pull us in. And they say that we see up to 4,000 advertisements a day um, looking at billboards, looking at everything that comes across our path with the internet. You know, you see them all over the pages you read. All with the promise that once you have this, or if you only just had that, then you'd be good. Then you'd be happy. Life would be great. And the whole purpose is to stoke the fire of desire in our lives. Buy this. Eat this. Go there. Accumulate. Get more. But it's never, ever, ever, ever quite enough, is it? There's always something more. You see, Worth Your Time is this documentary that was called The Century of the Self. Anyone seen it before? It was done by the BBC. It's about 18 years old, so it's not new necessarily. It's been out for a good while, and you can likely find it on YouTube still. But in this documentary, it tells the story of the rise of modern advertising after the World Wars. You see... And how the power brokers of Washington, D.C. and New York set out to repurpose thousands of empty factories with tens of thousands of workers who really had nothing to do. And to do that, in order to make that happen, the goal, the plan that they put into place was to repurpose our economy from a needs economy, focusing on our needs, to a wants economy and focusing on pushing us the things we want. Not just things we need, but things that we might want. And Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers in that documentary, um, he says this, if we could just go to the next slide. He says, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old had been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. I remember watching this documentary, and the whole time I was watching it, I'm like, wow, I could so feel the pull of all of this, right? If you've ever wondered to yourself why you want a new phone every fall, okay? It's, it's kind of this, right? This is kind of what's overtaken. This is kind of where we're at. These are the kind of things that try to pull our attention in a certain direction and tell us, you know, this is what you need. And our economy is literally built on people spending money on things they don't have, and in some cases, things you just don't really need, all that to say that when our human restlessness collides with this whole buy now and, and be satisfied world that we're living in, this whole culture of accomplishment and simple accumulation, the result, I think, happens is that there's this epidemic afterwards of emotional unhealth and, in our case, spiritual unhealth. And that's what results from this kind of living. You see, restlessness 
is the age, I think, that we live in. John Orberg says this regarding Christian faith. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Those are strong words from Ortberg, and I think, he's, I think he's right, and I think he's onto something as he brings that forth. But there is good news in the midst of all this. You see, into this human condition that we find ourselves in, which is often called restlessness, Jesus of Nazareth actually comes to offer us rest. He comes to offer us rest, not just rest as we think of it. You see, often we think of rest, and we think of, all right, I need to get my 10 hours in tonight, right? And everyone amen, right? But, you know, not just physical rest, not just rest for our bodies, but also rest for our souls. And this is something that we can't even fully comprehend what a gift this is that God gives to us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said it like this. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the scriptures known as the message, and I really like the way he wrote it here, just We'll just read the next slide here. Um, this is how he uh, translated that portion for us. This is Matthew eleven twenty eight. still. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I like that. I like that promise. Freedom. Living lightly. Following him. You know, I bet you some of us, as you read those questions at the beginning, you could probably just sit there and say, kind of, yeah, I, I sort of feel that. And the way of Jesus is grounded in a life of rest. If you've seen how he lived his earthly life, he took time to be alone. He took time to get away. And, and so, yes, it was grounded in physical rest, but even more than that, mental rest, sensory rest, creative rest, emotional rest, social rest, spiritual rest, we can be thankful today that God meets our needs. We can be thankful for that and invites us to enter into the rest that he has for each of us. You see, in Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, Jesus is telling this story, or well, sorry, the gospel writer is telling this story. It involves Jesus. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That sounds kind of reasonable to us, right? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. It will not be taken away from her. You see, Martha, in some ways, in our society, we would look at as, as the responsible one in this story, wouldn't we? Right? They got a guest, an important guest. She's running around, making sure hospitality's happening. She's, preparations are going on. Mary's just chilling in the living room, right? Like, you know, you, you really could look at it that way if you wanted to. And yet, Jesus commends Mary for doing what was better. And that's simply sitting there with him and spending time with him and listening. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus would say sometimes to our entire generation what he said to Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. It won't be taken from her. And the truth is this, is that Jesus is not glorified by unhappy, exhausted people. <laughs> no one sees people like this and thinks, oh, man, I just need some of that in my life, right? You know, I want to be like that, right? He's just so exhausted, right? I want to be like you, right? But Jesus brings us rest into the deepest parts of our soul, to the parts that we don't even know sometimes that we actually need rest in. And he offers it to us. And so Hebrews 4. Told you we'd get back to that text, okay? And that text is complicated, so just bear with me on this, okay? But Hebrews 4 talks about, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so what happened with the people of Israel? Why didn't they enter the rest that God had for them? Well, let's look at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 4. Now, when we look at Hebrews, we've got to say a couple things. Number one, we don't know the author for sure. So if you ever catch me blurting out that it was Paul, like, you know, correct me on that, okay? I'll try my best to say the author because we don't know who exactly wrote the book. But the book was written to first century Jews. And so there was an audience in mind. And there was this tendency where a lot of them had turned away from the ways of Judaism to follow Jesus, and there was this urgency to keep them following Jesus and not reverting back to the old ways. And so this book is very complex. There are so many Old Testament quotations in this book. Even, even Jeopardy didn't know that, okay? Now, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, okay? But, uh, you know, there's, this is the book in the New Testament, where, the, the epistle, where you'll find the most things quoted from the Old Covenant. And the book is filled with the Old Testament prophetic symbolism that has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. The writer makes it clear that Jesus is the Messiah and has supremacy over all things. And he spends every chapter building this argument over the prophets, over the angels, over Moses and the law, over the priesthood, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices. The purpose of Hebrews is to persuade Jewish Christians not to go back to the old forms of Jewish life that did not acknowledge that Jesus was Messiah. That's what's happening here. Simple, right? The exhortation is to endurance and to persevere in one's faith. And so let's read. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1 to 2 says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listen to God. And so in this context, it's saying they didn't go into the promised land. The Israelites had an opportunity to enter into exactly what God had for them. And it was called in scripture the promised land. But they didn't go. They chose not to go. And essentially it's one thing for you to hear about the rest that God has for you. It's a whole other thing for you to obey and experience the rest that he has for you. And the writer is saying, don't be like this past generation who had a path forward into the place of rest, and yet they remained outside of it, and they missed it. And they spent years and years and years looking to their own wisdom, looking to their own ideas, and not trusting God in this. And so we need to ask the question, well, why did they miss it? What made them miss it? How did they miss out on this promise of rest in the land that God had set out for them? Well, if we go back a chapter in Hebrews chapter 3, And verses 8 to 12, we read this. It says, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, so I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took on oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. And so, why did they miss it? Why did Israel miss it? Well, verse 8 gives us a clue. It's because they hardened their hearts and they rebelled. Verse 9 says in that portion that they didn't trust God. In fact, they tried to test God and they tried his patience in this whole process. Verses 10 to 12 says that their hearts were far off from where they needed to be. And they didn't believe what God had said was true. And they looked to themselves and they looked to their own intellect and not to God. And so because of this, they missed out on the rest that God had for them. They knew what God had revealed to them, but they didn't walk by faith into it. They didn't trust him. You see, it's one thing to know what God says. It's quite another to walk and trust him and walk in faith in it. Let's keep reading in Hebrews 4. I just want us to unpack this so that we kind of get the context here. In chapter 4, verses 3 to 7, it says, For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, In my anger I took on oath, they will never enter my place of rest. Even though this rest has been ready since he made the world, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, They will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is now, that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And so what's happening here in this portion of scripture is we're getting some different quotations thrown at us. We're looking at Psalm 95. We're looking at uh, the part where the Israelites disobeyed and they didn't enter into the things God had for them. We're looking at Genesis 2. 
where, where, where it talks about how God created everything. And on the, sixth, on the seventh day, he rested from his works. And God had promised his rest then. And he, almost, and he, he also promises that those who follow him now will also be able to enter into his rest. And they took, and they, and they can find rest for their hearts. They can find rest for their souls in him. Let's finish that passage and get to verse 11. Going to verse 8. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. I told you this was complicated, okay? For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did creating the world. So, here's our portion, let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so, we read through this portion of the scripture, and we see that Israel missed the boat, okay? They had every opportunity to enter, and they didn't do it. And because of that, they weren't allowed to enter. But God wasn't just going to leave it like that. He was going to give us an opportunity to enter into what he calls rest. And so in this portion, the author talks about that. And the author talks about Sabbath. Now, whenever we talk about Sabbath in church, we think of taking a day off. Anyone with me on that? Okay. You've heard that before, right? And some of us think that like, you literally have to sit there all day reading Leviticus, right? And I'm not convinced that's what it is, okay? But some of us, you know, we all have our interpretations of what Sabbath is. And so we have to ask the question, are we legally bound to the Sabbath? Well, not in the same way that those who lived in Judaism were. In those days, it was a law. It had to be done. But is the Sabbath a good practice to continue? I would argue Yes. I would argue, yes, it is. I mean, if God worked six days in creation and rested on the seventh day, that's a good indication to us who are made in his image that we should also take some time to rest. Are you with me? And delight in him and thank him for all that he has given us. You see, the point of it is, is that the Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes as a result of living in God's presence all week. It's really a way of being. And Jesus offers us salvation, and in him, in him we find true rest for our souls in a way that nothing else could ever satisfy, in a way that nothing else could ever truly fill us. And so the author in verse 11, the verse we're looking at tonight says, let us do our best to make sure we enter that rest. Let's not miss it like they did. Let's enter it. And we enter this rest by trusting that God is right and that he is good. And by walking by faith and action to his promises. You can say it like this. It's by living a life of trust in God. And when we live this way, we see things differently. We start to see work more as a contribution to human flourishing rather than simply as accumulation or, you know, accomplishment necessarily. And when Jesus announces the good news of the gospel to us, we have free will to accept that message or to reject that message, to follow him or walk away, to enter his rest by following him in daily obedience or by turning to our own ways and trusting in ourselves. We have that same choice that Israel had. And this was the mistake of the Israelites, as the writer of Hebrews is warning the church. Don't miss the message of Jesus. Do not miss what God has for you, like many did in the past, but live a life of trust in him. 
of trust in God. And so this brings us back to the world that we live in and this hurry and this desire for more and this rat race, right? And just more all the time. And I think we need to ask ourselves some questions and just slow down and ask ourselves, is your ordinary life enough today? Not when you graduate, not when you get a new place, not when you get that promotion, not when you get that new vehicle. Today, is your ordinary life enough today? You see, one of our key tasks in our apprenticeship to Jesus, especially in our day and age, is to find the goodness of God in our actual life now, today. Not in our idealized life, version of life that happens tomorrow, but there is so much goodness to experience today, amen? You see, the love of God is more than enough for us. If we will just slow down and stop, and I think sometimes just take inventory, looking to him, Jesus, our rest, we can recognize how faithful he's been throughout everything, amen? You see, in Hebrews 4, the verses after, I'm just going to read these because they're, well, honestly, because they're really good. In verse 12, it says, For the word of God is, we'll just go to the next slide. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything's naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we are accountable and the word of God is one of these things. It just judges the attitudes of our hearts. It reveals things to us about ourselves. It's not so God can learn something about us. Okay, God knows everything about us. He knows the number of hairs we have on our head, Scripture says. He knows everything about us, but it's so we can recognize where we're at in life. Sometimes I fear we don't slow down enough and take time to ask questions. Do we slow down enough to let this happen? You see, we don't simply serve and follow God because we have to, but we do it because we want to. We get to. It's really a privilege to follow God. You see, think about any relationship that you have where you only do something because you have to, right? Like, like that's a terrible relationship, right? Like, if I just drag my feet and, you know, for my wife and kids, I was just like, yeah, oh, i got to do this today, terrible, right? And just every day just went on with this, I have to do this mentality. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love them. So think about any relationship like that, right? You see, God isn't interested in simply holding us hostage, if I could say it like that. But he wants you, he wants me to taste and see that he is good. And to delight in him. And to walk with him, knowing that he's got you, that he's with you. He cares for you, and he wants to give your soul a rest that you didn't even know probably that it needed. And God has called us into a life in him, of following him, of trusting him, of being content in him, and knowing that he alone can satisfy our desires, and he invites us into his rest. And we must not miss that opportunity. And so this rest has implications for the church. And this rest affects the past, it affects the present, and it affects the future. It affected the past in the sense that Israel had an opportunity to go in and they didn't do it. It affects the present in the sense that we can experience rest in Christ today. 
you know, we don't experience it 100% this side of eternity, but we can experience true rest for our souls today if we accept the gospel message and believe in him, walk with him, not striving but trusting that he's good, we can accept it today. But the scriptures also speak of an eternal rest that happens in the future where things are finally put to rights and we're exactly where God intended for us to be. And so here's a couple ways for us to respond to this tonight. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him and to make him the Lord of your life. And you've recognized that you've tried so many ways and so many other things, and you've tried to find satisfaction, you've tried to fill that void, perhaps if there's one, you know, and, and, and you've never asked him into your life. Maybe that's the starting point for you tonight, is you just need to go to God and just accept his gift of salvation, his gift of love for you. Maybe you've trusted too much in yourself and you recognize that your life rhythms are out of control because you haven't, you know, surrendered desires to him and that you haven't um, surrendered things to him and placed them under him. Maybe you need to make a fresh commitment today to follow him. And Hebrews 4 talks about how God's word reveals our attitudes, our hearts, and everything within us. Maybe what we need to do is we just need to reassess our relationship with the Lord tonight and see if there's any hard spots in our hearts and ask him to come and touch us with his love afresh. Maybe sometimes it's good for us just to slow down and take inventory and open the pages of scripture and allow them to speak to us. You see, sometimes I think we just get so off track. Some of us, I think we try so hard and we try to impress God and we almost become like a hamster on the wheel, right? Like we run, we run, we run, but we're never actually going anywhere. We're just staying there. We're never actually getting anywhere because we're not doing what we're supposed to do. God doesn't need me or you to impress him. To, to impress him. He loves us. He cares for you. Maybe you're searching for something, approval, worth, when all this time God has promised you and is offering you his rest tonight. And so I want each of us to consider this. This is different for each of us. Maybe it's time to allow God just to, just to search our hearts tonight and begin to reveal things to us that perhaps is keeping us from entering into the rest that he has for you and for me.